great honour and privilege to introduce our our minister this morning. She honestly she needs no introduction, but I do have want to welcome our spiritual mother of the faith. A woman with a great heart who for years has held everyone in her heart. So let's all be upstanding. Oh, you already are. <laughs> As we welcome Pastor Joy. Thank you. Thank you, Shai. Thank you, musicians. I love your songs today. Songs on the cross. Wow, that's awesome. I'm going to preach on the cross today. So I'm so pleased they sung songs on the cross. Oh, wow. Just one word of encouragement for the church. I'll just share a verse with you the Lord gave me. We've had all our, what, 15 young people over in Taiwan. They've arrived in the country. They'll be arriving in Naperia in, uh, at 1255. But you know, God gave me a verse the first time Mike went away. He went away for a month, not just a cup a week. And he went to India, and there's a riot that happened while he's away. I had six children, three got chicken pox. <laughs> but anyway, the Lord gave me this verse. I'll give it to you. I think it's a good verse. For, you can sit down. Yeah. Um, a good verse for the congregation. It's in 1 Samuel 30, verse 24. It says, when some go out to the battle, we've had some that have been sent forth from here, and they've gone, and God's used them mightily. But there's others that are home looking after the stuff. Keeping this place alive. Keeping this place alive. You know what the Lord says? We all share equally the spoils. You don't think, oh, I wish I had what they got. We're all going to have it. It's for all of us. The Bible says when they come back from the battle, they share the spoils with those that are home minding the stuff. So that's a good verse. You sowed into them, you've prayed for them, and you're not going to miss out. They're going to disperse what they've got, and we're all going to be partakers of it. Amen? Great. Well, I'm going to preach today on the cross and divine exchanges. And I, ah, oh, this is, you know, as, as the church becomes more supernatural, as we move into the things of God, we must really celebrate and get back to the cross because so many churches have moved away from it. So, what does the cross mean to you? Pretty piece of jewelry you put around your neck? hunk of wood, or uh, it's on most Bibles, or big churches, but what really does it mean to you? Because it, I want to expand your understanding of the cross today. Um, Paul, I love Paul, one of the great preachers, he says in 1 Corinthians 1, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved... Who knows that we're constantly being saved and perfected because even though um, we receive the Spirit into our heart, our soul is constantly on a journey until we become like Christ. But to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Yes, the message of the cross is the power of God. And um, it is the power of God. We preach Christ crucified. Um, Christ is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 17 and 18, and also in 23, Paul preached Christ crucified because that was where the power lay. That is where the power lay. It's in the crucifixion. 
and we've got a really good grip of that today. He also said in Galatians 6.14, God forbid that I should glory or boast except in the cross of Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I mean, there's many things they could have glorified in. The feeding of over 5,000 people, opening blind eyes, deaf ears. But what did he glory in? What did he boast about most? He said, I don't want to boast about anything except the cross. That's what he wanted to preach. I want to preach Christ crucified. Why was it so important? We're going to realize as we go through the day that it's the crucifixion and the power released at the cross that all our hope is, is based on. You know, Satan doesn't want you to know about this. You know why? He was totally defeated at the cross. He was totally overthrown. When Jesus had those three days, he went right down into the depths of hell, and he took the keys of death and hell. He triumphed over Satan, and he totally defeated him, irrevocably. Never again will he have power over us, because Jesus totally defeated him. Now, Satan doesn't, he can't do anything about that. But what he tries to do is to bewitch the church. He tries to bewitch the church to get away from the power of the cross. Maybe get into a little bit of, I don't know, just add, add to it with something. Maybe just lean into counseling or go to hypnosis or do anything but the cross. And as he says to the church in Galatians 3, he says, who's bewitched you? The enemy comes in and takes you away from the cross. And it gets you into legalism, gets you into laws, gets you into doing stuff. Some churches, that's all they'll teach you. Come every Sunday and you'll be saved. That's not about coming or doing anything. We can't add to it. We can't add a thing to it. It's all been done. We can't add to what Jesus has done. That's what the enemy will try to get you to do. Because once he gets you into performing and legalism, then you'll probably get into all sorts of other stuff. But you'll move away from the power. There'll be nothing left. So he, he was so, and this church, Galatians church, that was a Holy Ghost spiritual church. They had miracles. They had the power of God operating. And yet the enemy came in and took that church away from operating in the power of God. And they got full of all their religious behavior. That can happen to any church. In fact, I believe it's happened to a lot of Pentecostal churches over the last few years. They've lost the power. They're not moving in the power of God. They're not moving in the supernatural or miracles. They're just offering self-improvement messages. But we've, if we're going to be a church that's going to demonstrate and move in the power, we've got to understand the source of it. The source of it is the cross. Oh, the source of it is the cross. We can never get away from it. We're going to glory and boast in the cross. And, and for this church, it's going to be a central place, a source of power. In fact, I haven't really heard the cross preached about as much since we became connected with the supernatural movement. They preach the cross, and every time they preach the cross, the power of God comes and is demonstrated. Oh, who wouldn't want to preach the cross? Amen. There's only one way to a relationship with the Heavenly Father, Jesus and His finished work. It's a finished work. We can't add to it. Totally finished. It's finished. It's finished. It's finished. And it's the only remedy for sin is the blood of Jesus. The only remedy for sin. You know, there's different kind of strokes for different things. But if it's sin, you must apply the blood of Jesus. That is the remedy for sin. Spirits, will you cast them out? Mind, you've got to renew it. But sin, you must apply the blood. 
It's the only remedy God has provided for sin. In fact, it's right from the beginning of the Bible to the end. I've been amazed. If you look at Genesis, when man first sinned, what did God do? He killed an animal and covered them with skins. You don't get skins without killing an animal. And when you're killing an animal, you get blood. So that's the first picture of the blood for sin, right in the Garden of Eden. And it goes right through the Bible. Um, Exodus. Remember when they, all the Israelites came out of Egypt, which speaks of the world and sin, the great day when the Lord brought all the Israelites out and they got free from the power of the domination of Egypt, which speaks to us of the power of the world. What did they have to do on that night? The first Passover. They had to take a lamb. They had to slay the lamb. They had a pile of blood. Was that enough? Knowing all about the blood? Yeah, the blood. No, it wasn't enough. They had to put the blood and apply it. They had to apply the blood to the house. They had to put it on this one and this one and this one. That speaks of transgressions, sin, iniquity. You know what the difference between those three are? Sin is what you do that is against the way of God, and you don't even know you've done it. It's like when you're going along the road, you don't realize it's a 50K zone, and you got up to 80. Uh-uh, I didn't realize I was sinning. Well, people do that. They go off to a fortune teller. They do all sorts of things. They don't realize it's against the ways of God, but it's sin because it violates the law of God. We've all done that. Transgressions, when you know it's wrong, but you do it anyway. Ah, I deserve this. I think I'll just go and get myself a little bit of comfort tonight and maybe dial a prostitute or something. But you deliberately do something that you know is wrong. You've got to apply the blood of Jesus to that. And the iniquity is that twist and bent inside of us that's in your family line that all members of your family tend to move towards because you're wired that way. You all have anger towards men or down. you just got an inward twist towards sin. The blood has to be applied to the life. And that's what they did on that night. I'm sure the people in the house said, Dad, have you done it? Have you put the blood on the doorpost? Because the Lord told them, I'm going to pass through. And if there's no blood on the doorpost, the eldest son was going to die. That was Passover. Now, the Jews celebrated that every year. Blood for sin. Blood for sin. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. So that was a Passover. And it was actually celebrating Passover, you know, when Jesus died. So all through the Old Testament, there's pictures of the blood and the provision of blood for sin. But this was totally fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Actually, the day they were celebrating Passover, the Lamb of God was being crucified. It's amazing. Then, of course, God said, I want you to build me a house. I want you to build me a tabernacle. And they had built a big house and, you know, everything about the tabernacle has got the cross written on it. If you looked how the furniture was laid out, they had the big altar place where they had to celebrate and cut up lambs and shed blood. And then they went into the next part of the tabernacle, and there was a table of showbread, and there was a, um, a golden lampstand, and there was an altar of incense. If you lay these in a row, you're drawing a big cross. And then beyond the final part was the mercy seat, where they had to take the blood once a year, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat where they encountered the glory of God. That whole piece of furniture was laid out like a cross. 
And if you're up in the air, when all these people around the tabernacle, there were 12 tribes, and they all had a place where they were allocated to, to camp, and the number, they gave the numbers of all the tribes. If you look down from the air, and all the, um, the tabernacle and all the different tribes were in their place, you see a great big cross. <laughs> Even the numbers represent a cross. It's right through the Old Testament. And even when those children of Israel, they started to groan against all their leaders one day, because they're always time doing things that we do. You know what happened? A whole lot of fiery serpents, a whole lot of serpents came in and started biting them, and they were tormented. They were in, 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 a, in, a, in a difficult situation because of the way they carried on. So what did Jesus do? He put a brazen serpent on a big pole. Brass always speaks of judgment. They said, put a serpent on the pole. And any of these people that are being bitten, look to the pole. With faith in their heart, they will live. Isn't that a picture of the cross? If you look to Jesus on the cross with faith in your heart, you won't be bitten by all the serpents that everybody else is being bitten by. You will live. You will live. It's all the way through the Old Testament. It's very powerful. And... Um, and then, uh, and then, of course, John the Baptist came out, and he was preparing the way for the Lord. And all of a sudden, he saw Jesus coming towards him. What did he say? What were the first words out of his mouth? Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. What a prophetic, amazing statement. This is the Lamb of God, the Lamb that... God has provided, and he's going to take away the sins of the world. That's what John the Baptist declared. Isn't that amazing? All the way through. And then, of course, every Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of them at the end of every book, has got a great description of, of, of the crucifixion, where the Lamb of God came and was crucified to take away the sins of the world. Then I was reading Revelation this week, Revelation 5, and it says, In the midst of the throne stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Worthy to take the scroll and open the seal, because you were slain and have redeemed us by your blood. Out of every tribe, every tongue, every nation, Taiwanese, Rarotongans, every country that we're going to now, out of every tribe, they were redeemed by the blood of the lamb. And that was the lamb before the throne. So from Genesis to Revelation, it talks about the lamb, the blood, for provision of sin. We can't get away from it. It's the central part of the gospel. So, um, and, uh, and that's the heart of the good news. The good news is, basically, John 3, 16, God so loved us. He loved us. And he sent his son to forgive us of our sins and make a way back for us to come to the Father. But we've got to receive it. It's not enough just knowing about it. It has to be applied to our life. We have to receive it and, and make it real for ourselves. So I want to now look at eight different ways in which there's an exchange takes place. And I didn't know about all these, but now each one of these have become reality to me. And, it, and, and when you apply the blood, there's an actual, a total change of thinking and way of life. He, he, he is it's a total commitment. It's, it's more than just head knowledge. You've got to, your hope is in him and in him alone. It's a total application and yielding of your life to what Jesus did. 
But also, before I look at the seven, eight ways you apply it, I love the fact that everything about God is supernatural. Everything about God. It, um, it's a finished work, and the enemy is totally defeated, and, and, power, and the resurrection released the power of God to meet every need that man has. Every need that man has. God says in, in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but, uh, but on the cross delivered him up for us all, shall he not with him freely give us all things? There's nothing that we lack that he doesn't give us because he didn't spare his son. And with his son, he'll freely give us all things. So there's needs here today. Some have got spiritual oppression. Some have got mental oppression. Some have got sicknesses. Whatever your need is here today, Jesus is here to freely meet that need. All things are there provided for us through the cross. Amen. And um, yeah, Jesus, of course, if you look at the story of the cross, at the end of every gospel, he was falsely accused. He was beaten 39 times on his back with the um, whip that had lots of little bits of um, bone and stuff in it that lacerated the skin. 39 stripes, he was scourged. Those stripes were for our healing. He was, um, a crown of thorns was put on his head. He was mocked as a king. They dressed him up in a purple robe and this crown of thorns and mocked him as a king. And they spat upon him. He had to carry the cross on his back that had been scourged. His, uh, they nailed his hands and put spikes in his feet. And even the um, sinner next to him said, look, just one more miracle. Come on, you, you can do miracles. One more miracle. Get us down from the cross. Now, he stayed there because he loved us. He could have, but he loved us. He stayed and he endured the cross. But the supernatural things that happened at the time of the crucifixion, that's what I love to look at. Pilate, even he was upset because his wife had had these dreams. Ah, oh, that man, you should let him go. And when a wife sticks in your ear, you get troubled. <laughs> well, you should, because sometimes she hears from God. And, and uh, he, was, he was troubled because uh, God was showing her this was not an ordinary man. And, and then imagine when he's hanging on the cross. This is in the middle of the day, 12 o'clock in the day. It became dark. The whole sky became dark for three hours, from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, which their calendar started at six in the morning, so that means at 12 o'clock, right through to three o'clock in the afternoon, there was darkness over the whole land. That's supernatural. Even the centurion who had nailed him there said, surely this is the Son of God. And then, of course, at the time he actually died, in that tabernacle, there's a big curtain separating the holy place from the, in the middle part of the court. That, cur that curtain just got torn from top to bottom. Totally torn. Great big huge thick curtain. Totally torn from top to bottom. Because now man can enter right into the presence of God. That's a place that only the high priest could do once a year with the blood. But that was opened up to us at the moment Jesus died. The most amazing supernatural events that happened. And then, of course, we talked about the earthquaking just before as they're singing. 
and the ground began to shake and the stone was rolled away. Whoa, man. And, the, and you know what happened? Graves were opened. Graves were opened. But they couldn't actually go to those graves because it was a Sabbath day and nobody was able to do any work. So they could just sit around their graves that were opened. But then when Jesus rose from the dead, saints that were long dead rose from the dead and started walking around Jerusalem. Man, imagine boat ramping into Noah or Abraham or Jonah or some of these people and they're walking around the city. Wow, we kind of don't get a grip of just how supernatural this whole experience was. That's because up until this point, they were, had to stay in Abraham's bosom or a resting place. But now heaven was open, and now these saints can go right into the heaven. Because when Jesus arose and opened up heaven, these saints now go to heaven, and everybody that dies now goes straight into heaven. But up until the resurrection, they were just in a, in a resting place. But now... Heavens are opened and saints that die now can enter into heaven. Wow, 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 wow. And, um, and, uh, and of course, even after three days, when Jesus started to appear in a resurrected body, he actually appeared for 40 days in this resurrected body, which we're going to get. He could just appear in a room. Go, meet his disciples. Look at my hands, look at these scars. Look at my feet. It's me. I told you it was going to happen. You didn't believe me, but I told you. <laughs> they just didn't get it. But he appeared to his disciples. He appeared to so many people in his resurrection body. Amazing resurrection body. This is all supernatural. It must have been an amazing time to live. And, um, and then, of course, when he first got out of the grave, he said, don't touch me now. I've got to go. And he had to sprinkle his own blood on the mercy seat in heaven. The tabernacle on earth was just a picture of heavenly things. And it's a heavenly tabernacle. He said, don't touch me. My job's not completed until I've put the blood on the mercy seat and satisfied the, the, uh, the, the Father that this job is finished. And then he was able to appear himself to others. I mean, this is all supernatural. I love it. Because, you know, we, we kind of don't always dwell on, on just how fantastic it all was. And now the way is open for all of us to go to heaven. But what about these divine exchanges? There's eight of them I'd love to touch. First of all, 2 Corinthians 5.21. I want you to see it like an exchange. Because it's like, he made him who knew no sin. So you've got Jesus who knew no sin. To be made sin for us. So Jesus who knew no sin had all the sins of the world placed upon him so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What an amazing exchange. It's like all our sin was placed on Jesus at the cross. And what did he place on us? Righteousness. That's a huge divine exchange. He didn't know sin, and yet sin was placed on him so that Righteousness can be on us. That's a powerful exchange. Or the punishment we deserved. He took it. We use the word redeemed. That means a price was paid. You are the most expensive real estate there ever is. The precious blood of Jesus bought you. You can't get any more expensive 
commodity than the precious blood of Jesus. That purchased you. You've been purchased. He paid a price for you. And he took your punishment. Redeemed meant you should have paid that price. But he stepped in and said, I'll pay it. So this, it's almost like a double banger. Not only is all your sin being put on him, but what you deserved, um, the, the bad due to us became, because of sin, was put on Jesus. And the good due to the sinless obedience of Jesus was given to us. Powerful exchange. We've got to meditate on that. Picture, I love picturing this. First time I really pictured this, I got Ephesians 1.4. It says, this is how we can stand in his presence now. We can stand before him holy because he's given us his righteousness without blame. Surrounded by his love. That's how he wants us to see ourselves now. We are holy, without blame, surrounded by his love. If you apply to your life what Jesus did to you, you can come right into his presence and you say, there's no sin, there's no blame. The enemy will try and accuse you and blame you all the time. That's what he does. But God says, I'm without blame. It was all put on Jesus. I'm just surrounded by the love of God. I've been made holy. Powerful exchange. You can apply that to your life. You've got to apply it. Nice verse to read about, but to enter into it, you've got to visualize it and see it and live in it. This is who I am. Holy without blame. Surrounded by his love. That's who I am because of the cross. Okay, number two exchange. It says in um, Raymond 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the exchange is spiritual death. Before the cross, we're all under spiritual death. We had no hope of eternal life. Spiritual death is separation from God. No relationship with God under the power of the wicked one. But he now, the gift of God that he's made available to us is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's given us a new life. In fact, another picture of it is he says, from the old man, that's the man with spiritual death, we now become a brand new creation. Jenny was preaching last year about our, last week about our identity, our identity in God, a new creation. But the old man has to die. In fact, it's got to be more than die. It's got to be crucified. And I believe, again, I didn't understand this for a long time. I was in a church, and I prayed this in this prayer, and I thought I got my ticket to heaven. I could now carry on living like I wanted to live because I paid my ticket. I knew I was going to go to heaven. I prayed that's in this prayer. <laughs> you know, it's much, much more than that. It finally dawned on me when I finally really got saved on the one verse, Galatians 2.20, I, this old life, is crucified with Christ. I has to die. This old life is not going to cut it. I can't patch it up. I can't get counseling on it. I can't, you know, just kind of improve it somehow and present it. It's actually got to die. I'm crucified with Christ. 
Nevertheless, I live, but not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me, gave himself for me. What an exchange. But the old man has to die. And we don't always like that message. Who wants to know that I has to die? I used to quote that a lot in our family. I, 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 I. Well, actually, the good news is I has to die. <laughs> it's a good thing to tell your kids. I has to. Look at it. Actually, read a couple of verses. Romans 8. Romans 8, 13 to 19. For you live according to the flesh. You, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if we suffer with him, that we might be glorified with him. For I consider the sufferings of this present age are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The earnest expectation of creation is waiting for the sons of God to appear. And you know what? They're starting to appear. People that know who they are in Christ. People that are carrying the power of God. People that are releasing the power of God. Hey, but people who have crucified the old man. Wow. You, know, you see, Mike and me, we, God's just pouring out so much blessing. But, you know, we had years of crucifying the old life. You know, when we came to Jesus... We died to so much stuff. Mike got a quarter of his teaching salary to do three jobs, first three jobs in the church. You can be the principal of the school, you can be the teacher in the school, and the pastor of the church for a quarter of your previous salary. <laughs> how about that? What a good deal. But we thought, God, to serve God, how exciting. I can't get enough of it. You know, it's a price to pay. It's a crucified life. The old stuff has to die. You're not hungering after that stuff anymore. You can't have all sorts of stuff that the flesh wants. But if you want God, you crucify it. And I, I still think some of us haven't realized the price behind living in that new identity is going to die to that rebellion. You've got to die to that bitterness. You've got to die to that addiction. You've actually got to nail it to the cross. Maybe you've been baptized. Maybe when you're baptized, did you remember in Romans 6, what happens when you're baptized? Romans 6 13 to 19, it says, um, if I don't let, uh, when you present your members as instruments of unrighteousness, present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. Um, what's that one about? Oh, go back to 6 verse 4. We're buried with him through baptism into death. When you got baptized, you died to that old man. That's what it symbolizes, death to that old man. Live to the new man. That's what baptism is all about, to, um, to move out of that old man into the new man. Or as Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with him. And it's a daily thing. You've got decisions all the time. Do I do what I really like to do? Or am I going to put the interests of God first, God's kingdom first, in advance of God's kingdom? That was the decision we made right at the start of our Christian walk. Seek first the kingdom of God. Every decision's made seeking the kingdom of God first. It's a crucified life where you daily put the things of God as first priority. 
and you die to the old man. But to be able to access that new identity, to be able to live in it, there's a price to pay. You've got to die to the old. You know, we got rid of TV, we got rid of cars. Mike had three V8s at one stage, all being done up. Clear the garage of all the cars and all the bits. It's not where we're going now. Alcohol, tipped the whole lot down the sink. We had more whiskey and gin and vodka and everything. All went down the sink. We died to it. There's a price to pay. You get ruthless. Die to the stuff. It's not where you're going if you want to have the life of Christ. Okay, so that's the second exchange. Old man for new man. Spiritual death for the Zoe life of God. The eternal life is Zoe. It's It's the life of God. Okay, the next thing. The curse to blessing. The curse to blessing. Galatians 3, 13 to 14. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Heaven became a curse for us. It's written, everybody that hangs on a tree is cursed. So Jesus hung on a tree, so he became a curse. That the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, and we will receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Curses. Curses are broken. And don't you dare try to go against any curse or demon without applying the blood and telling them about the cross. It's the only thing that gives you authority against them. You tell them what the cross has done. Say the blood of Jesus has broken your power. But every curse, we don't have to live under curses. Some of us still are. We had to look through curses that were in our family line. Curses of immorality were in our family line. It's a curse. Break it. Curses of um, mind, worship of the mind, and um, we call it um, kind of heady, being really heady. And when you're really heady, you don't need God. You sort of figure everything out for yourself. It was a family kind of trait. It was in the whole family. Just bondage to uh, intellectualism, really. That was a curse. Also, it was a curse of um, false teaching. I was under a lot of false teaching. That wasn't true. Any legalism is false teaching. You've been under false teaching. You had to do this, 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 and this. It's false teaching. It's a curse. You've got to break these things. I'm not going to live under a curse because um, Jesus has, has made a provision for us to access blessing. And there's curses, of course, of um, curse comes. Actually, you look at Deuteronomy, um, oh, what is it, that chapter 28. Uh, uh, There's a whole list of all the curses. Basically, all your resources, your relationships, your health, everything, it steals from you. And there's curses that can come down family lines. But Jesus became a curse, so every curse is broken. Arthritis is a curse. Some sicknesses are a curse. We need to declare, Jesus became a curse, so this curse can be broken off my life, and I can have the blessings of Abraham. Blessings on my life. Look at what Abraham is blessed with. Number four, sickness and pain. He took sickness and pain at the cross. And in exchange for our sickness and pain, he gives us healing and health. It's a divine exchange. He took your sickness on the cross. Let's read about it. It says in Isaiah 53, 5, by his stripes we are healed. Peter said it again in 1 Peter 2, 24. Same verse, by his stripes you are healed. Matthew 8, 17, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sickness. 
He took that on the cross. We don't have to carry it because he bore it. He bore our sicknesses, and in exchange, he gives us healing and health. So when we, you know, you're sick, you need to, I mean, I was, I was actually, I was on holiday, I was feeling this cold coming on. I just said, Jesus, you took my sickness. I pushed this cold away from me. It doesn't belong to me. You took it on the cross. I receive your healing. I thank you for taking those stripes on your back and making provision for my healing. I receive your healing. You apply that to your life. Apply it. Take hold of the verse. Say, Jesus, you took the sickness. There's an exchange. You said you bore it by your stripes. So 39, they reckon there's about 39 categories of sicknesses, actually. 39 stripes. And he took them on his back. And that blood shed for, on his back was for healing. We need to apply that blood if you're sick. Declare what the work of the cross is. Number five, shame. This is another one I suffered under for a long time. A lot of people suffer under shame. I particularly felt shame. You have a, a baby out of wedlock. I just felt shame. I just felt I really couldn't look people in the eyes. I, I was carrying shame. You know what Jesus said? He said on the cross, he said, Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, endured the cross, despising the shame. So that we don't have to carry shame. Ah, oh, so many people don't realize it. There's provision at the cross. We don't have to carry shame. In fact, the, the cross was the most shameful death. Everything about the cross was to totally humiliate and shame Jesus. He was naked. He was spat upon. He had a crown of thorns. He was mocked. It was the most shameful death they could ever dream up because the religious leaders had been so shamed by him, outwitting them every time they had challenges. They wanted to totally shame him so that nobody would follow him. He was totally shamed. And when I was struggling with shame, two verses really helped me. You know there's a story in the Bible about a beggar who came to Jesus. And those beggars used to wear a garment so everybody knew they were a beggar and they would give them money because he was blind. But when he saw Jesus coming, even before Jesus got to him, you know what he did? He cast away his garment. In his heart, he had faith. I'm not going to be a beggar anymore because I'm going to be healed. So he cast away his garment and he reached out and got his healing. You can do that with your garment of shame. It's kind of like it cloaks your whole identity. You feel, I'm not good. I'm not educated enough. I'm not good at speaking. I can't do this. I can't do that. You cast away that shame. It doesn't belong to you. I love Bunyan's stories of the cross where, you know, they at the cross, these burdens were rolled away. It's literally like that. Your burden of shame can be rolled away. And what does he give you in, his pla in its place? I love the verse in Isaiah. He has covered us with a robe of righteousness. What a beautiful exchange. Let that shame go. And then just reach out. He's handing you a robe of righteousness to wear. You can stand in his presence without blame, without shame, wearing his robe of righteousness because he's made you righteous. What a powerful exchange. If you're still cloaked in shame, you need to come to the cross. You need to let it go. Cast away that garment and receive his provision. You've got to apply it. We've got time for two more. Um, rejection and abandonment. Uh, both of them kind of go together. 
and in replace for rejection and abandonment, we get total acceptance in God's family. One with God. In Matthew 27, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he took a cry so that you don't have to have this cry. In fact, up until this point, every time he prayed, he prayed, Father. But this time he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the first time in his life, he didn't have the presence of his father. He was felt totally alone and abandoned. Why have you forsaken me? There's no reply. So he made one more cry and then gave up the ghost. <laughs> he experienced abandonment and separation from those he loved so that you don't have to have that cry. If you've got a cry of abandonment in your life or rejection, Jesus took that cry on the cross and experienced abandonment so that you can come right into the presence of a father. And be, I love the words he said, we're accepted in the beloved. He said, um, Ephesians 1, again, 3 to 6, is a whole lot of statements about who we are. But he has made me accepted in the beloved. Just as loved as Jesus loves his own son, he loves me like that. And I'm accepted. I'm accepted in Jesus. I'm accepted by the Father. My rejection, my abandonment is exchanged at the cross. We let it go. And he gives us his presence and says, you're part of my family. I'm your father. I'm never going to leave you. We don't have to experience that abandonment. Because, um, that, and also as to that point when he finally died, that veil was torn in two and um, sinners that were separated from a holy God can now enter into his presence. Wow, just at the time he gave up the ghost. Everybody could go right into his presence for the first time. Accepted. Ah, these exchanges are amazing. Um, another one, number seven. He took poverty. He took our poverty to give us blessing. You know, I was thinking last night, at the first Passover, remember at the first Passover when all the um, Is Israelites left Egypt, did they leave poor? They left loaded. They had all the goods of Egypt. They're carrying gold and silver. and They were left got loaded. God expects his people coming into his, his life to have riches. There's a picture of it in, in, in Egypt. They, they left with the riches. And um, Maranata often has been preaching now about the transfer of wealth. Really, God intends for a transfer of wealth to happen at this age so that the, what the Egyptians and the world has got comes on God's people. And I love this verse. It says, um, uh, 2 Corinthians 8 9, he was rich, though he was rich. Now, Jesus didn't live poor. He didn't walk around poor. He didn't walk around in poor. I mean, if you want to multiply loaves and fishes and feed 5,000 people, he could do that easily. Some of us might save for a party for 100 people. But he could feed 5,000, no problem, just with a few loaves and fishes. He had to pay his taxes. Okay, drop a fishing line down, bring up a gold coin. That's for your taxes and mine. You know, he didn't go around living poor. In fact, at the cross when they took his garment, um, it was such a, a quality garment, they didn't divide it up. They actually cast lots for it, which was predicted in the Old Testament because it was such a thing they didn't want to tear up and, and just divide up amongst them. It was a quality garment. He was not poor. He didn't live poor. But he became 
poor. It says here, um, yet for your sakes he became poor. When did he become poor? When he was dying on the cross. I saw in an article a description of, of, of real poverty is hunger, thirst, nakedness, and want of all things. So on the cross, Jesus demonstrated all those things. He was hungry, he was thirsty, he was naked. He had a want of all things, but he became poor. That you, through his poverty, might become rich. He wants a divine exchange. He doesn't want you living under poverty. Through his poverty, you might become the purpose of God's heart for abundance. When all the people came out of Egypt loaded, what was it for? Well, just down the line, they are going to build him a house. And they wanted all the stuff for the tabernacle. So they were able to give to build a house. Later on, David was building a house. And he had to turn them away. I don't need any more. I've got enough gold. I've got enough of all we need. Wow, they had the resources to give. But for us now, sometimes it's to build the house of God, but sometimes it's to take the life of God to the world. He wants us to be empowered to be able to do what he's called us to do. And he is the source. You don't actually have to have lots of money in the bag all the time. You have to be able to tap into his resources. When you need it, he can come through for you because he's a God of abundance. Another great exchange. And again, we pay a price. I remember the first time we heard this message. I think we gave the biggest offering we'd ever given. Thousands. But we sowed into it because we thought this is something we want to apply. You don't just hear about it. Sometimes you have to put an action to it. So I believe in that. that's a great exchange. God wants us to get out of poverty into his supply, his riches. And sometimes you just sow into it, believe in God for it and see it coming. The last thing, number eight, um, he took our grief. We've been looking at um, the healing of the heart journey. And a lot of you uh, would probably find it's a journey. But there's areas that God might still be uncovering. There's a powerful verse that's said in Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs. What do we do with this grief? Sometimes it's so overwhelming we don't even want to go there. If I go there, what do I do with it? Cross. Give your grief to the Lord. He came to carry that grief. You don't have to carry grief. But what you do with it is give it to him at the cross. And he will give you, again, the joy and freedom that comes and healing. It's a journey, but we can exchange our grief for healing and freedom. I've had a lot of journeying of uncovering grief and doing it. Sometimes you might just have a situation and it triggers off a a deeper situation and you have a memory then of something that you've buried. That's an opportunity for you to start to process it. We've been talking about that in the Monday night things. In my case, once I had a dream. In fact, um... I had been despising dreams and visions. I thought those things only kooky people had with my intellectual stuff that I was raised with. But when I repented of that, I said, God, use a dream. Show me what's buried that I can't see. And you might get a dream, and God can bring something up in a dream. And then you've got a choice. Am I going to process this and apply the work of the cross to that, or am I just going to forget about it? I had a powerful journey at that stage with... I'd had a, an older sister who was killed in a car crash. She was 13 and I was 11. I just blocked that thing out of my memory probably for 30 years before I got that dream. Denial, denial plus. I was the king of denial. 
I was not going to go there. But you know, when God wants you to go there, because there's healing and there's provision, you can go there. You can journey that road. And I journeyed that road. He led me all the way. He said, don't hide yourself from your own flesh. So I went and talked to my family about it. Mike came back to the accident site and broke the trauma of the accident. Went to the graveside, broke the soul tie to the dead. I'd never let it go. Sometimes you've got to break soul ties to things you never let go. You know, there's a journey that, you know, then I saw him in heaven, just the galleries of heaven cheering me on. She's cheering me on today. You know, God can bring a trigger. I think I've just got time for one more trigger. This is a bit of a tearjerker, but it really touched me last year. Now, you're going through your old papers, and I came across this poem. I thought, oh, and did it trigger a journey? Because there's so many things around experiences in life. Sometimes I could just shut down feelings and became quite disconnected. As I said, this older sister was called Margaret Grace, and I was Miriam Joy. So Dad had the good idea once Margaret Grace died that we'd have now Joy and Janet, because <laughs> it kind of goes together. Margaret and Miriam's now gone, we'll have Joy and Janet. So all of a sudden at 11, I was given a new name and a new identity, and I was still kind of confused about my journey. Margaret had always talked for me. She was very articulate. I used to go to school and mutter, and she had to come into my classroom to talk for me. But anyway, I found this poem that Michelle wrote to me once. I thought, oh, did that trigger something? She says, I'm a young girl called Miriam, that's who I am, happy with my big sister by my side. My sister, my friend, the only one I can depend. She knows what I want to say. She's the one I want to share each day. I'm a young girl called Miriam, that's who I am, happy with my big sister by my side. Then came the day she was taken away. Loneliness enveloped me. As I cried myself to sleep, a deep emptiness came. How can I escape the pain? Feelings must be locked away so I can face another day. I'm a young girl called Miriam, that's who I am, missing my big sister by my side. Everything has changed. I've even lost my name. No more tears to cry. I'm living numb inside. The voice of my heart no one hears. Silence will take away my fears. On myself I will depend, and loneliness can be my friend. You know, some of us can get like this. We just bury it all, deny it all, just try and be our own resources. I'm a young girl called Miriam, that's who I am, missing my big sister by my side. Now the voice of the Lord is calling. Miriam, where did you hide your feelings, Miriam? Your time of silence is ending, Miriam. Your broken heart needs mending, Miriam. My love holds the key. You can give all the pain to me. Don't be afraid to feel. My love will hold you as you heal. You're my daughter, my Miriam. I know who you are. I'm your father and the healer of your heart. See, it's not a journey. I mean, it took me next couple of weeks. It's like it's this week. I'm home alone. And, oh, I could just journey this then. I could access those feelings. I could let them come out. I could just visualize sitting on Father Daddy's knee and being cuddled and loved and comforted and be healed. You know, all these exchanges are reality. And I believe now as we finish, some of you need to access the power of the cross. The power of the cross is for every one of your needs. And each one of these needs that I've mentored, you can access the power of God. We've got a team of people here. They can release the power of God, the power of the cross into you. And if you've got a need in your heart, can we just stand up and sing? 
I want some uh, prayer team to come. You're here to release the power of God to people. People need to run to the cross. That's the only place where you can find the exchange. You don't have to carry your grief. You don't have to carry your sickness. You don't have to carry your shame. And if you've never crucified the old man, well, come and do it today because you're not going to really enter into the reality of the new man unless that old man is totally put to death. In fact, I had an amazing testimony I was reading last night. A man couldn't get rid of his addiction to nicotine. He wanted to. He hated it. He couldn't let it go. And he sat down talking to a man like Mike. Mike could see in his eyes rebellion towards his mother. And that rebellion was stopping him from having his healing. And he had to confess and let go of the rebellion towards his mother, and he's instantly delivered of that addiction. So sometimes there's these hard issues that we have to face and break to really access the healing. But the power of God is here. The power of God is here. God is not unable to meet every one of your needs. He can take your sin. He takes your sickness. He takes your shame. He takes your poverty. Whatever you need is today. I believe as we just finish this song, this song now, you come, you come and bring that to the Lord and receive the work of the cross, the finished work of the cross for you. You can be set free. You can change. You can let it go and receive the provision. Amen. Let's sing it. today. For whatever your need is, you come. Don't go away carrying it. Jesus has made total provision and He will freely give you all that you need. But Lord, we thank You for the cross. We thank You for the power of God released at that cross for every one of our needs. We thank You for the great exchange that all our sins were put on You. All our shame, all our sicknesses, all our poverty was put on You. And you made total provision for us to walk as sons of the living God. We give you the glory. We give you the praise. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.
You feel free to go if you have to go, but don't go if you've got a need. Jesus is here to meet your need. You come, you come, you come.